This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening today. Hello and welcome to Give and Tote Cannabis Conversations, the show that aims to elevate the conversation about cannabis to a higher level. I'm your host, Paul, and today we welcome Andrew Dowling and Mitch Kurtz, the hosts of the AltMed podcast, a series that focuses on exploring the medical benefits of cannabis. With guests ranging from doctors, scientists, company directors, researchers, and journalists, AltMed is Australia's premier cannabis podcast. In addition to AltMed, Andrew is the director and Mitch the managing director of Phytoka, a licensed producer of pharmaceutical cannabis goods with a particular focus on rich plant genetics, minor cannabinoids and terpenes. Andrew holds a Bachelor of Law with honours from Victoria University, has worked as a lawyer and a senior solicitor and was a legalised cannabis Victoria candidate at the 2022 election. Mitch has a Bachelor of Arts from Monash, a Master of Commerce from RMIT, and has worked as a consultant as well as a seed cultivator in the United States. If you like what you hear on this show, make sure you check out another episode or even tell a friend. You can also help by subscribing, following, and leaving five-star ratings on your podcast platform of choice. But for now, please enjoy my conversation with two of the busiest men in Australian cannabis, Andrew Dowling and Mitch Kurtz. Now, today we've got something a little bit different. Um, Mitch and I regularly enjoy interrogating our guests on AltMed, um, but today we're actually throwing ourselves in the hot seat and we've done a collaboration with Paul Donahue from Give and Tote Podcast. So in a moment's time, I'm going to hand over to Paul to run this, but uh, Mitch, are you ready to jump in the hot seat today? Yeah, well, you know what they say, the Lord giveth and the Lord toketh away. So I'm ready for this. <laughs> well, on that note, over to you, Paul. Uh, we're off to an absolutely cracking start here. I don't know how I'm going to keep up with the absolute, you know, the banter. We've got the Archbishop of Banterbury driving in in the Bantmobile here. I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I am incredibly grateful to have you guys on the show today. Um, while there are many feathers to your respective caps, none is more relevant than the fact that you both host Australia's premier cannabis podcast. So it's great to welcome the Podfathers themselves. Now, we're going to talk about quite a few things today. Um, I want to talk about Phytoka. We'll dive into the Alt Med podcast and your experience with that. We'll talk about Australia's cannabis industry. But first, I've got to know, Andrew, what is it like to be on the other side of the microphone? Do you do other podcasts very often? Uh, I think this might be... We, we've had a couple of collaborations so far with with Alt Med. Um, and, but yeah, generally speaking... We're throwing questions each way, but I know that today I was sort of going through an experience of reflecting on, geez, we're going to have um, you unpacking everything about Mitch and I, and that was a bit of a terrifying thought. But um, yeah, in short, no, this is the first time I've been in the hot seat and I feel, um, yeah, very, I don't know, very humbled to hear you describe uh, AltMed as, as the um, the premier podcast because it, it sort of at least indicates to me that it's not just mum and dad that are listening. <laughs> so I'm very grateful for that. They do have it on repeat, um, I heard. Get the Spotify playlist up. I must jump in and say, though, we did do a collab with Joseph from uh, Fab. We did a couple of episodes. Joseph. Yeah, so uh, we must uh, credit where credit's due. We did do that, but um, possibly lighter on the interrogation vibes that I'm getting <laughs> coming through at the moment. So this will be interesting for us, yeah. Mitch, for you, is it more work to be the interviewer or the interviewee? 
Well, we're about to find out, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to chime in and say I reckon interviewee because this man just loves to have a chat and will just ask anyone anything whenever he feels like it. <laughs> so it'll be a bit more structured today, I reckon. Yeah, I'm I'm not too shy, but um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what comes up. Um, do my best. Actually, we started as before we even started the Altmed, we got put on a podcast with so under jungle with uh that was like right at the start this is back 2020 Josh savage um Josh savage so it's probably the second time you can we got found by a few people on that one originally but you could probably dig that up and see how how noob we were <laughs> back in the day but, but always always guided by though um uh, you know connecting with a community and really just taking the opportunity to hear from actual experts definitely not us about what it is that they do and just actually making information accessible not promoting the use or supply of medicinal cannabis in any way shape or form um that is intended as a legal disclaimer the tga um, are not but listing otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> but otherwise keeping it factual balanced um and just you know information without the superlatives well the tga will be listening because andrew's probably going to self-report at the end of this i'd, I'd imagine <laughs> very responsible of you <laughs> so i'm definitely curious as to the pathway that brought the two of you into the cannabis industry while your tertiary education pathways were quite different your old high school pals who have now come to be somewhat of a package deal in the cannabis industry so first i'll ask you mitch how did you end up working in cannabis well, I've been surrounded by cannabis since I was born. So born into a bit of a cannabis family. Uncle, who is on a couple of episodes we've done, um, Shanti Baba, obviously quite a noteworthy figure in the cannabis industry, has created some very famous strains. Uh, White Widow would probably be the most prolific, but also worked with Neville Schoenmakers on, you know, Super Silver Haze and and some very, uh, at, when he was at Mr. Nice Seed Bank, some very, yeah, prolific strains. So I grew up surrounded by cannabis since birth, um, basically. And, you know, I recall going to visit the family over in, you know, Europe when I was very young and just being on cannabis farms. You know, growing, we go check it out and, I, you know, I'm 10 years old or five years old. And even when I got to high school and I'd say, oh, Andrew, check out my trip. I've just been away to see the family. And he'd look at my photos and just see all these cannabis plants and be like, is wrong with your family? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, grew up in that environment. Everybody kind of smoked. Um, you know, so I started smoking, you know, in my uni years. And then I guess I moved to America to work on some of the farms that the family had. And I was always kind of going be between Europe and, and America, Washington State, Colorado, Oregon. So I, I kind of got to know it in a more commercial way in my post-school years. And it's both a love and a, a great opportunity, especially when Australia opened up it was about the end of my tenure in America. I don't think I could spend any more time living in rural Washington state during the Trump era. So I decided to move back. It and... doesn't take far off the coast to see those like thanks Obama billboards, does it? Yeah, <laughs> no, not really. I, I tell you what, it's, it's a different... You know what? This is always funny, actually, when I was in America. Now just to jump straight into a tangent, as I do so often. But it was funny living in a town about five and a half hours east of Seattle in a town of basically people that had 
not only never left America, but never left the state, not a lot of opportunity, let's say, and pretty much, you know, a little bit more in the redneck variety, but they wouldn't know much about the world, current affairs or anything like that. But if you ask them about something to do with cannabis or extraction, all of a sudden they became like a molecular scientist. They knew exactly, you know, the boiling point of terpenes and how to extract and distill and thin white film distillation and, and isolation and chromatography. And I was just like, Holy shit, this is, yeah. Anyway, it was very interesting for a period of time, but um, after about 12 months of that, I uh, I needed to come back to the city and, and that uh, started our journey, although I was missing a, uh, a a legal piece and that's where old mate down there in the bottom square there came into. <laughs> <laughs> and a good time to ask, Andrew, you know, what was your pathway to cannabis? Um, well, yeah, always asking what the F's wrong with your family, Mitch, <laughs> which actually morphed into what the F's wrong with my family. In more um, but no, I went off and studied law and have always just generally been interested. Um, I think, you know, you can kind of, and maybe to the point you were just saying, Mitch, about learning specific bits of knowledge, like at each unit of my, my studies, you accumulate 10 weeks worth of lessons and then you have to be able to turn up to an exam and, and try and remember as much as you can. But I think just generally I was grappling with bigger issues around, you know, where does public policy that informs law come from? And so I've always had this interest in, around, I guess, the politics of um, drugs and drug policy. That's always been an area of interest. Did I think when I went off to work at a, a big commercial law firm after law school that I would end up working in cannabis? Not necessarily, but I did always think to myself that I had seen, you know, Mitch's uncle, he was being headhunted by pharmaceutical companies um, who were early to the Canadian scene. And, and so there was a lot of that going on. I thought if he's the guru and he's helping people, you know, certain patients with, with his products, then is there a potential pathway to, to bring some of his products into Australia? So that's kind of how we, we teamed up. But we've always been, I think, just interested in taking knowledge from more advanced markets around the world. And, and I think whilst we think of Australia as in its infancy, there are some people that are operating in our space that, you know, at least have information channels to lean on and, and others that that have really played a, a, a big role in, in advancing the state of awareness around medicinal cannabis in Australia. But yeah, basically just went from working um, full-time at, at a law firm to having a crack at, at a bit of a side hustle with Mitch and um, and then off we went. It's been a bit of a crazy ride, but a lot of fun. On that note of open channels, there's a lot of talk always about, you know, the cannabis community and, and how open people are. Does that translate to the industry as well? Like, do you find that there is greater information sharing perhaps in the cannabis industry than others? Or, you know, is that a bit of an illusion? Hmm. Um, I think that it depends who you're chatting to. <laughs> um, some people are very protective of their IP. Some people are more open. I, I think that we're probably personally ourselves on the more open side and we gravitate towards people who are as well i think that um philosophically i see the industry or business the same way i'd see you know nature or a garden it, you know it took to withhold is to perish i i think you know a, a flower gives its pollen to a bees and while this sounds very uh philosophical and and uh, idealistic i actually do think it's a bit like that i think there is an element of growing together and and we gravitate towards people that that think similarly to us 
Uh, I think there is a good appetite for that in the industry. I don't think it's across the board. I think it's, you know, there's people like that in, I, I think people think that cannabis is this different space and it's really not. It's going to be like any other industry with consumer products that people gravitate to or on, on a, you know, mixture of price and quality and, and all these types of things. I don't think it's any different to, I don't think it's, special in, in in a market sense or an industry sense. I think it's special to us because, you know, we're all involved, but at the end of the day, it's going to become like alcohol or like, any, or like you know, medicine. It's still a marketable commodity. And it's also, you, you can't, even if you had all the time in the world to just devote yourself, you can't actually just know everything. You know, the, the fact is that a lot of these companies in the space, particularly if they're vertically integrated, are dealing on a day-to-day basis with cultivators like growers. Um, that has its own niche around knowledge. There's people involved in the manufacturing side, um, extracting. There's doctors, pharmacists, and other healthcare professionals. So there's really different silos of knowledge that that sort of all sit within the one umbrella. And I think that I guess the curious minds among us are the ones that are you know really kind of want to have a chat with anyone at any kind of area of the industry because you kind of just want to see a different perspective and if anyone wants any proof of that go through the the altmed catalog um and i'm sure yeah. the given token catalog will give a range of views from a whole lot of people from from either side of um the spectrum and just to cap off on that i, I like i often say people ask me about getting in you know starting a cannabis company and getting involved i said you know if we were so protective over our stuff we would never have started old med because you could basically you're looking at in a weird way you're looking at our phytoka business by looking at our old med podcast in terms of we bring all the people that we deal with in phytoka to old med to help give people an understanding of the faces behind the companies and and an understanding of you know the the, the genesis of old med for us philosophically i guess was that you know, there are a lot of people talking about, you know, big farmers out to fuck us or, the, you know, the the government's against us or whatever. And I'm not saying in certain cases it's not, and I'm not saying prices aren't ludicrous and there's not gouging, there's not bad actors and all the rest, but at least not everybody's like that. And I think it was a way for us to leverage our network and insights to bring people and companies to the, the surface so people could actually interface with it and say, okay, I, you know what? I like this doctor. I like this brand. That resonates with me. Or you know what? That's not quite my thing. I'm probably not into that. And just kind of demystify the unknown and, and give some people an, a bit of a glance on the inside who might not otherwise have the opportunity to see that. So um, the big pharma thing is interesting. Like even yesterday when I posted my latest episode on Reddit, the conversation started about how we're not able to have a reasonable conversation about harm reduction with alcohol, with gambling. We seem to accept these things in Australian culture and then get really upset with cannabis. And a lot of the responses were like, oh, it's big pharma, it's big pharma. Now, while big pharma are responsible for a lot of woes in this world, I don't actually think they're as much of an adversary in Australian cannabis as people like to think. You know, Without small, medium and big pharma, we wouldn't have this industry at all. I think what has been far more pervasive is your family opinions, the shitty conversations you have with some uncle that's anti-cannabis, the interactions you have with the police. I think there's so many more things you could be upset with than, than big pharma in the cannabis space. I mean, w- would you guys agree with that or am I am I just riffing here? Uh, if anyone's out to fuck you, small pharma is out to fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's no big pharma around these parts at the moment yet. They're sniffing, but they're, they're not there yet. Like your, your, your Pfizer's and your Johnson & Johnson, like 
They're nowhere near this yet. Um, they're waiting till small farmer becomes medium farmer. Arguably, some of the the guys are moving into medium farmer world now. So they, you know, that it's not too far on the horizon. But at the moment, you're really dealing with small businesses. It's hard to make a small business work. Everybody knows that getting them off the ground is ex- expensive and, and tough to do. Um, I'm not saying that prices couldn't be lower or or the regulations couldn't be easier from, from the government, but it's definitely not big pharma yet. If anything, there's government restrictions that make it harder to access than it potentially should be. And, you know, Andrew, and I'm sorry if I'm digging into your future questions here, but Andrew running for legalized cannabis, as an example, showcases, you know, particularly our support for it to be legalized, even though it's actually against our own interests running a medicinal cannabis company, which has a nice little moat around it for us, if that makes sense. But we still, we're still committed to, you know, what we see as, as something that should be far more accessible than it is. And that's why we do AltMed and that's why we, Andrew runs for legalized cannabis and that's why we do what yeah. we can. To and it's, you know, it's not like in our view, somebody that wants adult use access to cannabis shouldn't have to pretend to have a medical condition in order to access it legally. And that that's kind of the crux of it. But I suppose I agree to some extent with the premise of your question around the kind of the stigma and pervasive attitudes of doing far more harm to cannabis when we talk about it socially with friends and family than perhaps big pharma. But I will say that there are aspects that do concern me still. And I think I think both the stigma itself around cannabis, harking back to the failed war on drugs that kicked off under Nixon in the 60s, you know, can be looked at arguably through the same lens of are the current regulatory settings for medicinal cannabis access in Australia adequate in the sense that it's both somebody else's conceived policy that came to life in law and is it actually serving a greater good? Is it achieving what its object is? What is its object? These are the sorts of questions that I'm always asking when I, I look at a particular legal system. But in terms of, you know, big pharma, I agree with Mitch. I think it is more a case of petite pharma um, at the moment in, in Australia. But I, I would I would though caveat by saying that there was some a concerning article that recently ran in in the Fairfax Mastheads around um you know comparing the boom in, in medicinal cannabis to the opioid crisis, which I mean, is just, I thought it was actually irresponsible for the journalist to have only taken one view from, I guess, the pro-medicinal cannabis side, which was Ian McGregor of the the Lambert Initiative, who described the comparison between opioid crisis and and the boom in cannabis as grotesque. And I totally agree with him. Um, It's possibly even an understatement given the deaths that we've seen with that. But the one of the the few voices that was given a platform in that that piece was was Michael Vag, who's the former head of the um, Australian New Zealand um, anaesthetist, so the head of basically pain medicine in Australia. Now, this is a guy who, by his own admission, has actually put out disclosure statements on articles that he has written where he acknowledges the fact that he gets paid to do speeches and lectures at events that are sponsored by you guessed it, the company that sponsors OxyContin in Australia. So I think it's indirect, but you see, unfortunately, shades where there's a case at least to be argued. Now, okay, he discloses that relationship, but it doesn't change the fact that he's not taken any money from medicinal cannabis, has no interest in medicinal cannabis, 
but has taken money from a company that is responsible, arguably, for deaths of, of Australians from substance abuse. So I'm not buying a lot of what I would describe as his so-called expert class, what they're necessarily putting out there. I think there's always going to be question marks about, you know, who, where are the, follow the money behind these people. Um, So that, that's definitely a side to it. And I, I, unfortunately, there is a degree of, of institutional capture there, both the faculties of medicine and also the, the medicine regulator itself. And and I, I think there is actually an abundance of evidence now it's better that we have the TGA than not. I think it's obviously of import that we have a, a medicines regulator, but would I adjust aspects of how the TGA does its business? Absolutely, I would. I think it would probably resonate with you the most, Andrew, with your law background. I had David Edishank on the show recently, and, and he's got this point that, that law does not equal justice. And so when we look into you know these frameworks and what is around and yet yeah, where the money's coming from and what is motivating certain things people are saying, it definitely reveals the kind of seedy underbelly and and the potential for the bad side. You know, we know that New Zealand's referendum on cannabis use, the no side was heavily funded by, you know, US-based conservatives because the implications that would would then roll on, you know, if New Zealand legalizes it, well, then that just becomes a little bit more normal. So it is important while being optimistic to keep an eye on, you know, some of those shady characters for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think in, in in to provide balance though to this this discussion, the same the same argument um, that you're arguing against Bag, he could then cast on on you as well, having a medicinal cannabis company. So, yeah, but my the products don't kill people. No, 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 no. I, that, mate, that's a massive difference, right? Like we're in the same. Ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that needs to be confronted by Bag. I think that's the concern that I have. He's not being serious if he if he doesn't oh, no no don't get me wrong i agree with you i'm just saying that his position would be then to to cast the same light or, or standards uh, to, to us if we're going to oppose that kind of thing and say we have commercial interests that are involved in cannabis so how can we be taken seriously on the other side of the, the fence this is the thing all substances can be abused and there is such a thing as cannabis use disorder you know that that needs to be talked about more but again, it's just more the harm profile around drugs that are actually approved by our regulator versus those that are, quote, unapproved. Um, and I, I have some concerns about that, that so-called approval system. Yeah, I think one of the mistakes is having it as solely a medicinal product. I mean, it is a medicinal product. There's no doubt about that. It is also a recreational product. And I don't think, you know, people are trying to pigeonhole this plant as one or the other, and it isn't. It's actually both. And they're not mutually exclusive. I think that you have a lot of people who use it recreationally, but actually have an underlying condition that they're dealing with. I think there's a lot of people that use it medicinally, but actually enjoy it. And that's actually not the worst thing, in my opinion, especially if it doesn't have an addictive or or harmful profile. You know, there's people that enjoy opiates as well, but that's not really a, a pro-social outcome, especially um, for one, their health or two, their interaction with wider society. And I think those are the main things that... Um, that I I look at a you know a substance and and judge personally what I think is is beneficial or not beneficial to society whether that product one does harm to the the, the person taking it and two inhibits them from being a functioning contributory uh, member of society or you know their greater community um, and I don't think cannabis inhibits that personally. 
And that's really good food for thought because as someone who does use cannabis medicinally, I've also thoroughly enjoyed Canada's recreational market, working in it, going to Thailand for a couple of weeks. And, you know, my, my clinic follows me on Instagram and I almost felt naughty that I was like uploading bud pictures that were purely for like, you know, for recreational joyous purposes. But that is the point. There is a space for both of those. Like I know that I've replaced antidepressants with CBD flower, but then there's a bunch of other fun stuff to go and try as well. So there is definitely some balance there. Now we've mentioned quite a lot of things that I want to circle back to, you know, the alt med podcast, legalized cannabis run. But first I actually want to talk about Phytoka. So Mitch, tell me more about Phytoka. What is it? How did this venture come to be? And what are your roles? Uh, Phytoka started off originally as uh, we started off as CBD Pharma, realized that was very limiting and also potentially not, <laughs> yeah, potentially not, uh, not compliant name even. Um, unless we were talking about the fact that we're based in the city, uh, which <laughs> it wasn't the case. That, that's what I always understood. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, we are we are very metropolitan, cosmopolitan kinds of type. <laughs> so we quickly changed that and um, rebranded. I guess the genesis for us obviously started with the family, and and I'll, I'll, I'll give you the as I said the genesis, and then I'll be honest about where we're at with that because I don't think we fully realized our original plan if I'm just being transparent, because of the nature of where I come from and the family connection, we do have access to some pedigree of plants that are more interesting, let's say, than potentially other ones out there. So when we're talking about High Times Cannabis Cup winners from the 80s and 90s before it got a little bit more pay to play, and not just the seeds, but but actually the plants that actually won, they're still alive. They're generating seeds and we have the ability to bring some of those to market Um that you know have a lot of original genetics from northern lights the hayes family the widows so uh, the, back you got to go back in time to when we started this thing which was actually 2017 we registered the company uh, we got our licenses in 2019 we started trading um at the end of that about 2020 so at the time it was very and it still can be but it's come down a lot the time was very expensive to well first off it was very difficult to figure out how to get cannabis at this time, you know, 2017, 2018, 2019. It was then highly expensive to see a doctor. So you're talking about doctor consults in the 500 plus range. It was then if you did manage to get it, because not everybody was getting approved at the time, it was very expensive to procure actual products. You're talking about thousands of dollars for, you know, CBD oils, 400 bucks plus. There wasn't even flour yet, really. There were THC oils. There was maybe one or two flowers. It was just not, it was a totally different market. And we're thinking, you know, shit, we got access to, sorry, I've skipped a bit. And once you did access that product, it was very generic, very generic products. Like we're talking about just pure CBD isolate products and things like that and strains that are not very interesting and, and potentially don't have a big terp profile or minor cannabinoids or acidic cannabinoids and the rest of it. So real basic stuff for a really high price and a lot of difficulty accessing and, you know, a lot of stigma battling and and all the rest. So the worst thing we thought in in our heads was that somebody went through this ordeal and at the end of that got a subpar product that actually, uh, you know, was inferior or even worse, didn't work very well. And then they said, well, what is this? cannabis about it actually doesn't work and it's like that's the worst case scenario where somebody's actually having a product and it doesn't do anything so for us that was well we've got access we should you know do everything we can to bring this out and um, make sure that people understand the true genetic potential of cannabis so 
that was the let's say mission statement. Now, starting out and just you know building a pharmace- pharmaceutical company from scratch with not a medical background and and just kind of finger in the air type situation and and just do it as it comes was very difficult. We self funded because we wanted to make sure that we weren't compromised in terms of what we were trying to do. So that whole pathway it was a big learning curve, and and it, as part of that, we had to basically realized that there were a lot of regulatory hurdles and and things that we had no idea how to combat. And as such, well, mainly we couldn't actually get THC out of Europe, which is where my family's sitting. We couldn't get it out of Switzerland because it wasn't legal for export. So we could only get the CBD products, which is the the start of what we we started doing. Um, We couldn't actually do anything THC. So we had to basically fill out our THC offering with other things. So we haven't fully executed our original idea yet. It's in process and we will be, we are actually on, on that pathway. We're doing quite well, but we, we've managed to curate a bunch of products that we stand behind that don't necessarily have the full vision of our <laughs> genetic lineage that we're, we're trying to execute. But that we are happy to use as a kind of interim measure. So that's the uh, me coming clean on where we're at as part of our journey, but at the same time, giving you the original intention and the the ultimate goal as the kind of the the North Star for what Phytoka is meant to be about. And it's been a, a very interesting journey. I guess I'm responsible for a lot of the sales, the day-to-day the, and the operations originally. It was you know, Andrew and I just doing a lot of late nights originally. And then when I went full time after three years of both of us working other jobs and side hustling and and spending 15 hour days, I finally put me in and I was kind of running the show for the last year and a half. Andrew still isn't even in the business full time, but I'll let him touch on that. <laughs> Lazy is, is, yeah, that's a great way to put it. <laughs> I'll let most, him- most lawyers are. Um, no. But yes, TGA, if you are listening, um, Mitch just confirmed that he does sales. So he is responsible for promoting the use or supply <laughs> of the products. Um, but basically to healthcare professionals exclusively, I should say. Um, but um, I haven't said anything about products, have I? No, you haven't. And we won't. And the thing that I will say, though, is as well as, you know, when we first joined, and I mean, it's still the case, there's just a lot of, you know, listed companies, companies that went out and raised hundreds of millions of dollars we've kind of done this whole thing with our own money. We haven't taken big external investment or anything like this yet. So that's also been a a part of it. It really did start as a, as a side hustle and, you know, yes, there's been pain involved in in doing everything yourself, but at the end of the day, it's meant that we um, retained, I guess, our ownership of it and being able to call the shots. We don't get bogged down by having a committee of, investors and all these people that have to dictate what decision we make next and so we're, we're a pretty um yeah pretty flexible company i guess in in, in that respect yeah and it's uh, mitch is just to echo mitch's point that the the end game is being able to supply the genetics from mitch's uncle so we'll have flour you know different product types available from that and um yeah really really kind of working our way towards that it's very cool. It sounds like there's a lot of integrity kind of in the long-term plan, but also making sure that in the meantime that you still kind of keep that, you know, even if something's a placeholder, that it's still high quality and it's still something worth putting out there. Because I think it's nice for people to hear that the companies that they're potentially buying from care about 
what they're going, what the end product is going to be, you know, what their experience is going to be. Is it going to work for them? I think integrity is important. And, and I think if look business, especially getting a business off the ground from, from scratch, there's a lot of hurdles that you just never foresee, you know, currency conversions from different countries, like all sorts of stuff, hurdles with imports, border force, regulators, changing the rules, GMP, all this stuff. So we have tried to stay within integrity as much as possible. And if there's things that we've done along the way that maybe veer from that a little bit, I at least try to be very honest with with the customers or the doctors and, and, and the companies we work with about that and say, look, this is something that is not the full realization of what we want to do. It's down a rung, if I'm being honest, but you know, we're going to tell you about that. And we're, we, we still have chosen the best we can at this time, but there's business imperatives that, that require us to keep moving forward. And we need to juggle those imperatives with what we're happy to do. And I'm going to be honest about it, at least uh, along the and, and we're honest about what our true north is, you know, and where we're actually going with it all. Yeah. I think that we're never going to do anything that's just absolute dog shit. <laughs> but, but if, if we have to like, kind of juggle the the if we need to take this step to get to that north star that's kind of how we at least rationalize it and there's been a couple of those on the thc side not on the cbd side but on the thc side and and hopefully it's assisting us getting there because we're able to build a base and and provide value um still in, in a way that helps us get to that next level for us in that business does that does it kind of make sense i don't know if i'm no 100 100 percent. like it's really clear that you guys know where you want to be you still try not to cut corners whilst you're on the way there you know there there are some sacrifices and compromises that need to be made but that can't be at the expense of the consumer or you know the patients for example yeah i think i think some co- companies can be super hardcore about their values and some can let it go completely and just, you know, go for the dollar every time. I think that the reality is that it's, you know, somewhere in the middle and we try to stay on the top side of that middle, but, but there are things that along the way, you know, were they my ideal situation? No. Am I okay with what we've done? Yes. Can we make it better in the future? Yes. But I I just hope that people kind of, I mean, we never really talk to people about that that other than the the people involved in our kind of distribution and and networks and and the doctors we deal with. But we hope that it it trickles down to the to the patients or all consumers, however you like to look at them. But um, yeah, I haven't really vocalized that before, so it's good. <laughs> Andrew, I know that in addition to your role at Phytoka, you've been working with Canatrack, who is Australia's largest producer of medical cannabis. How have you found that experience and how has it informed your understanding of the industry? Yeah, uh, Canatrack's a great company. So, I mean, over seven years, they've carved out, um, you know, being basically the biggest in the industry. I think the last pharmacy market research data that I saw had them at 35% market share, which is just an enormous achievement. But yeah, look, Canatrek's also a very busy company. They're doing lots of projects, some of which I can talk about, which are in the public domain, but have just launched a digital health platform, MyEden. And I think, you know, when you're coming from a company where you're just focusing on um, ensuring that there's um, ample supply of your product to to meet your your customers' needs, to going to a full scale company that has multiple business units, I think you kind of start to see yeah really the potential in this industry. There's just so many 
different areas to kind of to work within. Um, and I, I know Canatrek is um, very actively looking at, at, at a lot of them. I mean, including um, they've got a division pet can now working with vets to assist them. It's been a great experience um, working with them. And yeah, it's a pretty big company now as well. There's like 120 odd staff, I think, possibly even more than that. So yeah, it's it feels maybe a step above petite farmer now that I think about it. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, they're, they're a good, good bunch in there. So it's, it's been, um, yeah, been really good for my, for my learning. Mitch, I know it's not just cannabis as an alternative medicine that has piqued your interest. I understand you're also passionate about the therapeutic uses of MDMA and psilocybin. What have you come to understand about the potential of these substances? You mean in my own personal experience? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> personal capacity. Your personal only. research. Yes. <laughs> Like there was this music festival ages ago where I just really realized the, the therapeutic potential. I mean, beyond the cannabis seed bank in the family, there's also a spore bank. So there's 120 different um, uh, spores that, and strains of, of, of uh, mushrooms that, that are available to us. So, I mean, whilst it's less of a, a passion project for me specifically, mushrooms um there's a lot of interest and i think there's a lot of benefit and and arguably the data that exists is actually more convincing for mdma and psilocybin so it also has not just a, a treatment facet but but almost a curative kind of element in the research data that's emerging that suggests that mdma and and psilocybin could actually be a one or two kind of dose thing and then hey you've you're actually dealt with a lot of those specific issues now there's still a lot more research that's required to uh, to to actually prove that, but that's that is the the underlying notion that has allowed these things to be rescheduled as a schedule eight. Now I'm not yeah, saying it's, it's a, no, exactly. It's the potential that somebody might not be prescribed something that just masks symptoms, but it's actually going to the root cause of of what might be the issue. And I, I think you know, whether or not that's actually born out of, of research studies or maybe true for a particular individual, you know, just the, the mere potential for that to be entertained in our current climate, I think gives us all a reason to, um, you know, to watch the progress of it. But it's, it's a really exciting and, and interesting area of emerging medicine. It's always good to have your your lawyer on hand just in case you say something that's <laughs> um, but but just just to just to to clear the air and um go on the record I, I wasn't suggesting that it is curative I'm just saying that I, I think there is research to suggest that there's potential oh, just, well just because you've had potentially a good time on MDMA I mean past performance is not an indicator of future performance right? let's just put all the disclaimers in that's for sure i can <laughs> uh, i can actually vouch for but yeah to, to be honest there's been a, a crazy interest specifically in, in psilocybin uh, you know i've had i can't even think how many people reach out to to us recently since i posted on linkedin about us receiving our licenses to import that um, substance and for some reason everyone seems to think that microdosing is on the cards and it's just not but that is a really big interest area and i think it's massive in the states at the moment and um look basically i'm in support of any medicine that's been around for millennia or longer mm -hmm. than any modern medicine that has actually been used to help people deal with a wide range of issues prior to, you know, Western medicine. Obviously, MDMA does fall in that Western medicine category, but I've had it before. I know that I, I actually understand. I've actually had all of those medications. I haven't had them in a medical atmosphere, but I have actually 
had them and I understand their potential, let's say, from a from a personal um, use. Uh, I had them though outside of a clinically supervised setting. I think that's <laughs> the part that I feel interested in is that, you know, there's not too many medicines that actually require there to be a healthcare professional on hand. Obviously, you know, anesthetics and, and there's, there's others, but it will be interesting given that there is at least we have to acknowledge as a fact that people do use they have used these substances outside of clinical supervision um that you know might that be a frontier one day that you could be prescribed these products and and use them at home um at doses that that are deemed appropriate by the prescriber i i think that that might sort of be the next stage depending on you know what the initial um feedback is from from the use of these in, in the clinically supervised context. It's definitely an interesting and exciting area of, of medicine and just human development. I know, again, very anecdotally speaking, but in Canada, microdose mushrooms were widely available and you can get them sent to your door. Now, now, hypothetically, if I were to have ordered one of those and get them, I might have found that each Saturday when I took a microdose, it kind <laughs> of did what I always wanted cannabis to do. You know, like the, the sense of relief that was created. I'm not hypothetically not looking to yeah, yeah, trip yeah. balls so taking yeah. something light and taking a low dose and it being you know a nice bright saturday morning it was really interesting to go oh my god like this little thing could actually replace a whole lot of different other things and i'm talking about cannabis you know a lot of people are going to replace pharmaceuticals i would actually replace a lot of cannabis use with effective psilocybin treatment At the end of the day it's a highly personalized experience um these types of you know drugs really and it's the same like some people are really good with drinking alcohol some people really aren't and we see that and not everything works for every person even you know every medication you have in hospital has a list of side effects and some people get them and some people don't i've had melatonin before it actually keeps me awake like it, it doesn't have the effect that it's meant to have that everybody else says i get the best night's sleep ever and i'm thinking sitting there thinking why the hell can't i go to sleep i, I, I saw so, MA actually i forgot to <laughs> oh and that's why i went to sleep when we all went to that party no no i'm just <laughs> um but it was it was you know it it, it definitely you know this i mean you can talk about i'm fine with penicillin let's say for example andrew and you're not no I've, it's only one it's yeah anyway i had this had a bad reaction to targin which is an opioid they gave me after some surgery but it comes with something i think called naloxone or something else that causes the um, active opioid to be a slow release and for whatever reason I did not deal well with that um, and, yeah, required some <laughs> urgent attention from injury staff at Epworth Hospital. Um, many thanks to them for that. But what, I'm, what I'm pointing out is that different genetic makeups respond differently to, to different chemicals. So true is that in, in you know traditional, let's say, modern pharmaceuticals, opioids, benzos, all the rest. Um, and so too is that the case with some natural medicines, you know, like yeah. cannabis or... But, it, but, it's, but it's actually with... A lot of the conventional Western medicines, we're talking single active ingredient that's just dosed. And so it's easier to, you know, go through predictability modeling for a patient cohort, say, that has that, where yes, there will be differences in the genetic makeup and of, of the humans involved, but it's where you with, you know, mushrooms or with with cannabis that 
it's that one complex biological system being introduced to another and the just degree to which there is going to be variance based on the compounds in that mushroom or cannabis plant and then also in the genetic makeup of the person consuming it. Yeah. It just actually amplifies exponentially the variances and, and what could happen. So I think the complexity of it is is really... I mean, you've got... You basically got a control substance on the single um, substance, uh, mm. single active ingredient, let's say, and you've got the 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 variance on the side of the, the patients. Now, with something like cannabis, where you've got a whole host of cannabinoids, a whole host of terpenes, it's almost like putting a variance with the variance. So mm. it's not the same kind of now that's what makes it so complex and that's what makes the results so hard to track and that's part of the problem that that you know the tga and and modern medicine indeed is trying to deal with the fact that you can have a heavy indica and or you know a heavy sativa doing completely different things to patient cohorts but yet they're both just considered cannabis or just the thc is really what they're looking at and it's like no, this is going to have vastly different effects. And the kicker is if you try to remove all that other stuff and just make it THC or just make it CBD, it nowhere near has the effect <laughs> that you want. So it's really a kind of pointless exercise, which is why we've seen so many of these Schedule 3 CBD you know, trials not do so well. Is So it's, it's a funny old... Um, it's a funny old uh, interaction there between those molecules and and the testing and then trying to create a medical base. Now, I actually believe that in the fullness of time, or if we had, you know, to take a a, a piece out of what it was that Sam Harris episode we watched, where it was like or listened to where he's talking about if we had, or you know, it's theoretically possible to deconstruct cannabis entirely into its hundreds of cannabinoids and terpenes and flavonoids and all the rest all we're missing is the science and knowledge to do so <laughs> like easy sam so, thank you um, <laughs> um well he was talking about in terms of it's possible to do anything in in like the universe all that's missing is the knowledge and <laughs> to do yeah. it actually it's it, it actually just sorry to we're now just riffing here but it's it's part of the, <laughs> it's like the first time maybe hypothetically one takes not a micro dose of mushrooms maybe a macro dose would be a better description or a heroic dose and one ventures say to a natural environment um, and observes nature nature is complex and i think that's part of what makes um conventional health and medicine so alluring is this idea that okay you're sick you go and see a doctor you get prescribed a particular product that makes therapeutic claims about being able to fix whatever you're you're dealing with and in some cases it 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 works but we have to understand that often there is just so much complexity around our health um, and around medicines that getting kind of sucked into thinking that this one thing is going to fix my problem i i i just you know there's so much more that that we should be factoring in but by the same token, I actually don't have any problems with Western medicine. It's not like I'm cannabis and psilocybin only. Like I'm totally for antibiotics. And, and yeah. oh, Panadol is my favorite, but we've been through this. I love <laughs> They still don't know how it works, but there's been you know some studies to suggest that actually it works on the, by triggering um, receptors on the endocannabinoid system. So that would actually you know kind of play into the whole aesthetic. But- <laughs> I know I knew there was a reason I always like paracetamol <laughs> specifically. Um, but um, but yeah, I'm not against I'm not against, you know, 
pharma at all. I just don't think that pharma needs to beat up Canna. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. And I think on the notes of, you know, Andrew mentioning potentially going outside and experiencing nature, just a quick little PSA for people. A soccer oval in Brunswick, speaking from experience, is not nature. So just <laughs> anyone who just where there's kids and families playing, that's not nature. Just because there's grass there doesn't mean it's a good place to go. So just very specific niche uh, PSA there. But one and and if there is a game of football <laughs> on, is it an ideal to just not lie down naked in the middle of the pitch? Like, well, what's, how far is your advice going to go for? Uh, uh, stay away completely. Yeah, because yeah. we're, we're going down a rabbit hole there. <laughs> oh, he said, he said PSA, but that was directed at you, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think, yeah, there's definitely uh, plenty of work for the uh, legalized psilocybin party to do once legalized cannabis has done all their work. And on that note, Mitch, you mentioned earlier that Andrew ran for legalized cannabis last year. You were on the ballot. So, Andrew, how was that experience of running for parliament and and how did that come about? Uh, It was all very last minute and it was a lot of fun, actually. I, I really enjoyed the process, loved getting out to Western Victoria. And yes, although I live and work in Melbourne now, I am originally from Geelong or Queenscliff before that. My dad's from Ballarat. So we kind of, and and my grandparents before that. So we we have a kind of connection to different towns. My parents actually now live down on the, the Great Ocean Road. But yeah, just kind of embraced it, went out, met a whole lot of people. I remember saying to the guy who asked me, who's the secretary of the party, Craig Ellis, in the parties headquartered in Nimbin, obviously, I said to him, you know, if I'm going to run, I just want you to kind of assure me that I'm, I'm not going to win, but I love the thought of getting out there and doing some advocacy work. And yeah, much to my terror on election night, I think it was you, Mitch, we, we were together down at, uh, down at my, my folks place. And Mitch started looking on his phone about three hours after the polls had closed. And he's like, you've actually started pretty well. And <laughs> So began two weeks that uh, were some of the most stressful weeks of my life where, yeah, we're just checking it every day. The ABC at different points in time were saying legalised cannabis is going to pick up Western Victoria. In the end, we just got the two seats. So David, who you had on the podcast, um, is a friend and and he, yeah, it was, was, it was a pleasure to go through the whole process with him and, and Rachel Payne as well, um, both just... Of the three of us, the two best um, advocates <laughs> for cannabis. And, you know, they're not, you know, they don't have the, the vested interests that I do either. But no, they... Um, 3,000 votes, though, out of 600,000 you missed out by. It's not, not too shabby. No, that's yeah, great. Yeah, it, no, it went right down to the wire. And um, I think the one thing that was pleasing actually was it came down to me and um, Sarah Mansfield from the Greens and I once we, we were at the results count at, at Flemington Racecourse, and I, I you know, we we emailed in the days leading up to it just to kind of both express that we'd be very happy when it was all over. But I, I did speak to her afterwards, and you know, was assured that uh, that she has the same interests as as legalized cannabis. So you know, whoever got in was was always going to be um, going for that. And you know, in an election where we still have this peculiarity in victoria around the group voting ticket there's yeah all sorts of dodgy deals and and stuff that can get done so i i think ultimately it was um it was a good thing but uh it was a bit of a close encounter um and you know i'm i'm open to uh to doing it again i know we've got a federal election coming up in 
in 2025. So I'm sure the party will be, uh, yeah, be putting forward candidates in each of the states. Um, but yeah, overall, the party picked up something like 5% of the primary vote across the, the state of Victoria, which is way beyond um, what I thought we'd get. And so, yeah, to the extent that uh, they think that I can help advocate the cause i'll um i'm I'm certainly open to um to running again it's a very exciting time and i think you know we're one more momentous election away from really proving that there is becoming a public mandate for this it's no longer just a fringe issue that affects a few hippies like you know a lot of people are really really uh kind of rooting for this cause and i guess knowing that david and rachel got in what are your hopes for their time in parliament you know they're already doing amazing things with the drug driving amendment bill inquiry into hemp use inquiry into discrimination in the workplace tandem bills for personal use across three different parliaments so you know looking at the work they've already done what are you hoping that they can achieve over the next couple of years well it's that's a great point i mean they got sworn in in january and they've been very busy. Um, they've were at September, and you just gave that laundry list of of their achievements thus far. Um, yeah, I think I, I think there's a few things. Obviously, there's Victorian centric policy, which kind of mirrors the states. All the states will have responsibility over drug driving laws in that state. But I think you know workplace testing um, needs to be addressed. But but I'm I'm also just interested generally in the fact that, okay, yes, there's no one in federal politics yet that has been elected from the party, but we can kind of see across Australia, we've got two legalised cannabis members in the upper house in WA and Sophia Mormond and um, Dr. Brian Walker. We've got obviously David Edishank and Rachel Payne in Victoria. And more recently at the um, March election in New South Wales, Jeremy Buckingham was elected to the the upper house in, in there. So there's a bit of a national coalition that's telling people this isn't a Victoria thing. This Federally, there is a will for cannabis to be represented. And as I've always said to people, it's a bit of an unusual political party in the sense that in, in many respects, all of those politicians would love nothing more than to cease being required to, to be a politician anymore. It's <laughs> and That's once, a good point. Um, you know, once... once it's legalized, you know, it's like job done. Obviously, there's ensuring that the model that is implemented takes proper account of failings in other jurisdictions around the world and and learns from that. And I think there's now an ample group of countries that we can look to and and learn from. For example, in Canada and a lot of the provinces, the taxes are way too high. I would say in America, obviously, with the federal government still not um, having laws that that allow cannabis, the states have been allowed in some instances to to have a completely deregulated market that doesn't have appropriate quality and safety standards. I think Australia is a bit of a nanny state has always done consumer product safety really well. So having you know proper child resistant closures, information and warning statements on on products. So I think I think we can do it right in a safe way that you know ensures quality um, where taxes are at a reasonable level, you know, that they make the industry still competitive. But I, I I certainly see a way that it can be done. And I guess the question is, will the catalyst for legalization come from a federally elected legalized cannabis representative, or will it come from that ever expanding coalition of all of the legalized cannabis representatives at the state level? The funniest part for me is, and it's all usually the case with a single 
policy parties such as legalized cannabis is this you know and a lot of people ask you this question when you were doing your one day of <laughs> rounds in Geelong um, they're like okay so you support legalizing cannabis what are your other policies and it's yeah. like sure you, you theoretically do have other policies you stand behind but at the end of the day it's let's just say they're not as well thought out as the legalizing cannabis part um, to, to make it so. But still, even given that, there's a whole host of people that are like, I don't give a shit. I just want <laughs> you in. Even I don't care what the other policies are. Just give me cannabis. And that's enough to elect, you know, how many people to the upper house? Like that's crazy to me and amazing at the same time. You know what I mean? Yeah, I got the best feedback at the <laughs> line handing out how to vote cards. You know, I had people that came out afterwards that confirmed I gave you a vote, you know, and it was good chatting to you. And these were people who, you know, when you asked them, who did you vote for in the lower house, were as diverse as liberal Democrats, so full-blown libertarian politics or shooters, farmers and fish, um, animal justice party. But it's just one of those issues that sort of cuts across both um, sides of the political spectrum. So it is really interesting. And I, I, I know what you mean, Mitch. It's also, though... There's perhaps an argument to say that the right candidate, if they're approaching that single issue with the respect and nuance that it deserves, is likely then to apply similar outcome-based policy thinking when being engaged in in policy discussions about matters to do with health or education or, or some of these other topics. Um, now, I'm well, not saying that person is me, but I'm just saying... Clearly uh, isn't you because you didn't get in, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Roasted. <laughs> Absolutely. I walked into that. <laughs> well, no, there's definitely amazing feedback from polling places. I know David and Rachel have spoken about how much fun they had campaigning and the positive reactions they got from people. And, you know, people were even enthusiastic that the flyers being handed out were, was free roach paper. So, you know, <laughs> there's, there's victories across the board. So It was genuinely, like I have to say, just my life last thought is just how momentous the results day was like you know for about half a second deflated that um after all the stress and investment that i wasn't joining rachel and david but we went out we had a little um shindig uh, a little bar in flemington afterwards and at a certain point i just remember looking around and thinking oh my god victoria of the 40 seats in the upper house we got five percent and I'm looking at the two of them right now. That was just truly humbling. I had to pinch myself, actually. It was incredible. No, it's very exciting times. And it's really awesome to hear your perspective on it. I think it was a really unique experience. And I'm hoping the momentum continues. And I'm hoping that as we do progress through other elections, that you do continue to put your hand up, because I think you're the right man for the job. But there's lots more to talk about. Before we crack on, I'd like to take a minute to play a game with you guys. In my research, I realized we graduated high school the same year and therefore were the absolutely legendary generation of kids who experienced the Sydney 2000 Olympics in grade six. Now, grade six is already an important year of primary school, probably the most important year, but the Olympics took that to a next level. And I had a kid in my class whose dad ran with the Olympic torch. So it kind of made it pretty special. So it's burnt into my mind. I hope it's in yours as well. And long-winded introductions aside, I'm going to pit the two of you against each other in a competitive head-to-head -head battle of wits trivia game about the Sydney 2000 Olympics. 
He's going to win. Andrew's a trivia freak. He's an absolute uh, freak. I, I'm not going to... Actually, I am going to win. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, to avoid any latency issues, I'm going to direct each question to you in an alternating fashion. Mitch, as you are often credited second in the Altmed podcast, you're going first. <laughs> Mitch, question one. How many nations took part in the 2000 Sydney Olympics? Was it 169, 199, or 420? Well, the obvious one's 420. Uh, uh, no, it was, um, I'm going to say 169. Denied. That is incorrect. Unfortunately, the correct answer was 199. So you are not on the board. Andrew, the next question is yours. Here we go. Andrew, two new sports were introduced at the 2000 Sydney Olympics. Which one of these was not introduced that year? Taekwondo, triathlon, or table tennis? Table tennis. That is correct. That is indeed correct. You are on the board with one point. So Taekwondo and triathlon were introduced in 2000. Table tennis went back to 1988. Mitch, who won the medal count at the Sydney 2000 Olympics? Was it the USA, Russia, or Australia? You've got to say USA, don't you? That is correct. That is indeed correct. It was the USA with 93 total medals. So 37 gold, 93 in total, beating Russia, who were right there. So, Mitch, you've got one. Andrew, you've got one. Next question. (laughs) Ian Thorpe won five medals at the Sydney 2000 Olympics, three gold and two silver. Andrew, how old was he at the time? 15, 17, or 19? 19. Denied. Unfortunately, the correct answer was 17. Old Thorpedo was underage. What an absolute beast. What, who's that freak that just has smashed all Phelps's record? Uh, the 400 meter. There's a 21 year old that's doing it at the moment. I, I wish I cared as much, but I'm not in grade six anymore, so I don't watch yeah, this yeah, stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah. All right, Mitch, <laughs> you're going to hate this one. There were three distinctly Aussie mascots for the 2000 Sydney Olympics named Ollie, Sid, and Millie. Can you name any of the three animals? I think it was like a kookaburra and a platypus and maybe it was an echidna or something like that. You got all of those and that is, I'm sorry, that's only worth one point, but you got all three. Well done. I just, animals. I I like animals. (laughs) All right, Andrew, for the first and only time, two countries entered the 2000 Sydney Olympics under one flag. There's no options for this. Can you name these two countries? So two countries entered under one flag. If he gets it wrong, can I answer this one? You absolutely can steal this one because there's no options. I remember this one. No, I'm, I'm going to pass. Oh, so Mitch, we're throwing it over to you. So Andrew is declining this one. Mitch, which two countries unified for that one Olympics only? Only because I have an obsession with the hermit country do I know this happens to be North and South Korea. That is correct. You are absolutely spot on. You stole that one. Nice work. You are now actually in the lead, Mitch. Three to one. All right. This is a question for Mitch, given uh, you did just steal that one, but this one's for you. Who was Eric the Eel? (laughs) Uh, uh, I mean, Eel. Water, was he a swimmer? Yep. Oh, yep. You're halfway there. Andrew, are you interested in stealing this one at all, or is this unknown to you as well? I'll have a crack. Um, Water polo player? 
No, no, not at all. So I'm going to give half a point to Mitch. Eric the Eel Musambani was a swimmer from Equatorial Guinea who took nearly two minutes to swim the 100-meter freestyle. He was meant to swim with two others in his heat, but they were disqualified for jumping in the pool too early. So I don't know if you remember, but everyone got to watch this guy very slowly swim 100 meters on his own. I think I remember that it was like like standing ovation, everyone just loving it. Yeah. Yeah, feel good story of the year. Go, Eric. All right, Andrew, who lit the cauldron at the 2000 Sydney Olympics? Kathy Freeman. That is correct. Indeed it was. Now, you are unfortunately already behind in this game, so let's see if Mitch is going to you know, beat you by even more with this final question. Mitch, what is the name of the young girl who sang at the opening ceremony? Oh, uh, May... May... M- May, May, M-E-I, something like that. Uh, I, I can't remember the rest of it. I'm, I'm, you're way off right now, um, but I'm wondering if I could send this through the wind from you to me, flying through the wind from you to me. Andrew, you got any ideas here? No, I was thinking of Nikki Webster, but... Uh, that is correct. That is correct. She sang a song called Under the Southern Sky and then later on came out with her smash hit single, Strawberry Kisses. So, oh. Andrew... That leaves you with three, Mitch with 3.5. Mitch, you are our winner today. Well done. <laughs> Even though I got, I thought there was a, somebody saying, maybe I was thinking about um, that lip syncing thing that happened. Ashley Simpson wasn't at the Olympics. What are you talking about? <laughs> I think I'm getting my, um, I think I'm getting my Olympics confused actually. <laughs> Quite an aficionado over there. <laughs> I'm just stoked I beat Andrew. Like that's, that's huge for me. It ended up tight. I'm not going to lie. I did not think you had it in you to name <laughs> mascots and you got all three. That was genuinely impressive. Yeah, that I that was in, mate, I was in year six. Uh, that's the intention to. <laughs> You're the target audience. <laughs> Still <All right>. am. <laughs> well, you know, there was a tiebreaker there. If you guys had have been even, it would have been a sing-off to see who could sing Nikki Webster's Strawberry Kisses the least in key. But... Mitch, you won 3.5 to 3. It was a tight one in the end. Well done, guys. <laughs> no, thank you. That was, that was good fun. My <laughs> older brother, actually, shout out to him. He volunteered at the Sydney Olympics, um, assisting the tennis players. And I think to this day, he still has... Anna Kornikova's sweat towel that he has never washed. Every young boy's dream. Yeah. So anyway, that was his lot at the time. <laughs> and he got one of those badass volunteer outfits as well. They were all the rage. Yes. I've got I've actually got his jacket in storage at my place. Like the original, I think it's a Bonds spray jacket, Sydney Olympic. Yes. Must be worth a fortune now, surely. Well, fellas, we are getting towards the tail end of the show, but I would like to talk about AltMed before we do wrap things up. Andrew, tell us how AltMed started and perhaps share some reflections on releasing over 100 episodes now. Congratulations to you both. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I actually can't believe we've subjected our audience to that much content. I mean, it really just started as an idea where we saw a gap for information to be shared. And it was a lot of the time, like some of the early guests that we had on the show were really, I would say, pioneers in, in the industry. So I know you, you've had Maddie Moore on uh, Oak. We love Maddie, the big text. He wouldn't stop talking about how much he loved you guys. Like, Come on, man. I'm over <laughs> I here, know, right? You're in the romance <laughs> too now, Paul. It's, um, like, no, we, we love Maddie. And, and like, you know, Asper from Ducasa, like she was 
at the time running one of the the and still is, but it was one of the early big medicinal cannabis dispensaries. So to kind of, we thought that a lot of the people that we were meeting in the industry were really interesting. We weren't sure if that would necessarily translate more broadly, but we just decided to, you know, and it was COVID as well, right? So what else was there to do but jump on Zoom calls? Um, so we, yeah, we just started speaking to these people and it was, it was a you know, obviously even a great way to, to just meet people for the first time. But, you know, fast forward 100 episodes and I think we've made a few promises to have guests back on the podcast, but we still keep talking to new people <laughs> because there's so many interesting new people to talk to. No disrespect to our, our former guests. We'll, um, yeah, we'll definitely do some part twos, I'm sure. But um, but it's been a lot of fun. Mitch, your reflections on AltMed, what do you, what, how have you found it? My favourite thing is just uh, the artwork that Ben's done for us on some of the thumbnails. <laughs> I still laugh my ass off at that stuff. Yeah. I'm actually like, hey, mate, can you go back into the old ones and redo them just so I can look at some <laughs> funny stuff? But, yeah, no, we've had, a, we've had a great run. We've had pretty much the who's who of Australian cannabis on there and some pretty noteworthy international guests. I'm still amazed people, you know, uh, will see somebody, you know, UIC or A Cannabis or something and they'll be like, hey, you know, that podcast we did, I was really surprised. Like I had all these people reach out to me after or people sign up to the clinic or people do this. And I'm just like, cause they really liked what I was about. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm amazed as well. <laughs> but, um, but no, it kind of makes sense. We've had a lot of growth, the organic growth in, in the number of people visiting the site is just crazy. And, and yeah, I guess there's a, there's a big hunger for, for this kind of knowledge out there. And there's a lot of people that are that are flying blind when they get involved. And, you know, I still regularly see in, in a lot of the, the cannabis forums and stuff, you know, people asking super 101, but what I would consider very elementary questions. And I, and I forget that whilst all of us that are in it really, you know, know a lot about it and kind of maybe take that knowledge for granted, there's still a lot of people that are seeking out this, um, this information. So I'm just glad that we've been able to provide, you know, a bit of an insight to that and, and have some people that, really know what they're talking about on, on the pod, podcast and well, maybe also a few that know a little bit less, but that's all right. We've, we've equal access. Yeah. <laughs> there are definitely still people around asking, Hey, what's the difference between salvia and indigo? And I'm like, they're not even words related to this industry. So, <laughs> Yeah, um, no, totally. I mean, there's definitely some, some more elementary, let's say podcasts that we've done some basics. And then there's some really kind of, more highbrow stuff, especially some of the ones with the the chemists talking about certificates of analyses and and extraction methods and, and, and remember Ethan Russo and Bonnie Goldstein. Like we've had we've had some amazing international guests um, as well. And yeah, it's I guess never underestimate the power of a conversation, right? Like the long form podcast is now. I I I've got so many podcasts that I listen to and, and follow. I just I you know. It's 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 genuinely we sometimes walk away from some of the episodes that we record, including this one, I'm sure, where we're just like, that was actually a lot of fun and and a lot of insight. Um actually we probably won't from this one because it's largely been about our own. No, I was gonna say that's why it's the best one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're finally the, least, the least insight. Um, yeah. um no, I mean you mentioned a couple of great episodes there. I actually met Mitch after you just recorded Bonnie Goldstein and he said, I think we've just done the best episode we've ever done. And I love Ethan Russo as well because I think correct me if I'm wrong, Ethan Russo doesn't consume cannabis right. He's just an expert in it. Is that is that right? I actually don't. Did we? I, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer to the the consumption side. Actually, if I'm being honest, but he 
does know a lot about it. He's a fantastic resource in the space. Couldn't tell you if he if he consumes it or not, actually. Yeah, forgive me if that's misinformation, but I, I'm 90% sure that that's accurate. And, and, you know, one of the things I love about him and someone we need kind of more of, people who are like espousing the benefits of cannabis or just the facts about it that aren't necessarily sitting at home toking because we do lose a little bit of cred sometimes yeah. <laughs> with the, uh, the stoner joint philosophizing. So it's nice to have those people on board. I'm wondering, you know, one of the things, you know, I'm only a quarter of the way to the to the output that you guys have, have put out there. But one of the themes that keeps coming up for me with my guests is the need to take risks, you know, to, to put yourself out there, to maybe lose your reputation with your family or your workplace or you know, really put yourself yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. What are you guys noticing coming up as the common themes amongst your guests? Hmm. That's an interesting one, actually. And maybe it's too many episodes to now see a common theme. You know, maybe it's so broad that you're not seeing that. But yeah, I'm curious if there's anything that kind of, you know, every second or third episode pops up as a recurring idea. There's there's different themes that uh, seem to emerge depending on the type of guest. So I think it's not the same thing with everyone. There's like, I guess, profiles. There's kind of indigo and salvia, if that makes sense. <laughs> it's kind of like some, look, we definitely have guests that are a little bit more interested in, say, promoting themselves. We have guests that are very um, on the the regulatory tip and, and looking for legalization or, or promoting, um, say, access, especially more of the quote unquote, black market guests or people not involved in the medical market are very pro access and legalization. We have people that are very pro patient health, you know, more the doctors, more the, the pharmacists are very much interested in, in the science and, and pushing forward a medicine that's they've seen, you know, change lives that they, they've been practicing medicine for 30 years. And all of a sudden they've got this new tool in their toolkit. So they're much more patient focused. So it really kind of just depends some of the clinics brands are a little bit more on the yeah promotion tip, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, I think there's also, but would you say a lot of the guests that we've had on that actually work in the industry are kind of, there's a sense of excitement, like we're here and now this industry is kind of getting more and more exciting and bigger year on year. So I feel like there's a lot of optimism about what people are doing as, a, as like, it's just a general comment. I always walk ah. away from those discussions. <laughs> yeah. Not many people are coming on and going, oh, this is fucked. This is going yeah, nowhere. We're not going to have an industry in five years yet. I, I, I know what you're saying. I think that's maybe just more us. I, I think there's <laughs> a theme in the guests to me at least, but some guests are really enthusiastic being be on the show and some are really reluctant. <laughs> some we've dragged on the show and we've, we've had only one person actually pull the show and say, no, we can't, um, I can't actually, I, we've recorded it and then they've, wow. so, so that's actually not a bad strike rate considering um, the, the number of episodes. Well, you guys have mentioned, you know, Ethan Russo, Bonnie Goldstein. I've really enjoyed conversations with so many people. Loved the Lauren Jackson episode. Even, you know, my own doctor, Dr. Shu, um, you know, Matt, Matty Moore, that was a really good time as well. So what episodes would you recommend for people if they were to dive in today having not listened? Okay. So let me go back. Let me, I'm just going to have a look at it whilst we're going here. There's a few that I remember. Jamie, Jamie Rickord was a lot of fun. We went kind of, you know, for a GP, he, he, you know, really tackled, I think, that broader question around health, you know, not just being a, a simple equation. And it really opened my mind up to that. There's, I can tell you that, that like a lot of the the doctor podcasts have been really good at, at actually helping people understand what's actually occurring. And not only just patients, I mean, other doctors. So we've had a lot of doctors that have reached out to us and said, 
the, the Stephen Chalk episode really helped them understand the interaction with pain. That was a really, there's a few episodes that have come John, up. John, remember John Tay was a really John good Tay, one. Excellent yeah. episode. Yeah, as well. And this is not a slide at anybody else who's been on, but these are the ones that other people have given us feedback about to say that this really helped them. There was the episode also with Scott, the episode 33 was really good. I quite liked the the chat with, you know, Dr. Orit and Dr. Gull as well. I, I have to say the doctor podcast seemed to be a, a little bit more engaging because you're like, Oh, that's how it works. That's how it can work for me. That's kind of like what's happening in the background. I know when I inhale or I, you know, have a, an edible or whatever it is, that's actually what's happening in my body. Now I kind of get it. And this is how it kind of plays out. So the doctor. But equally on the lighter side, loved chatting with uh, Damien Hardwick. Um, Dimmer's, Dimmer was really good value. Yeah, that was a great episode. That's fine. I loved Matt Lammers, the Canadian MJ Biz journalist that kind of gave us the uh, <laughs> the very bleak outlook on, on the Canadian market. I yeah. just love Joe Kosterich's episode because the guy is just an incredible orator. Like, yeah, he, he's media trained. He's on, you know, television. The guy is just polished. brilliant to watch. Him, him and Brian Walker, they're very polished. They're just nice to listen to. You know what I mean? So I had David Shoebridge on the show. And like when you interview someone who has that media training, it's both amazing because they make the show better, but also terrifying because you're like, oh my God, that was a perfect answer. Where do I go next? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, I was like, we suck. <laughs> Justin Sinclair was really good as well. Um, I really, really enjoyed chatting with him. Look, we've we've been really lucky. We've had so many good conversations. It's actually been a pleasure. Like, yeah, okay, you do a podcast, there's work to be done, there's an output expected, but it, you know, the overarching thing is it's been really enjoyable and it's been great to build a, um, a bit of a community that's then plugged into other communities. I'm sure the Altmed audience will be very interested in, in Give and Toke as well. Um, you know, it's been an absolute pleasure. If you look through some of the Reddit forums where we've posted the pod, some of the podcasts, um, there's a few episodes which people have definitely had. I don't want to say scathing reviews on the podcast, but definitely on some of the guests. They've, uh, right. They don't pull punches. Um, I, as it's Mitch. I mean... As I say, Reddit is a source of information of a kind. It's definitely not a source of truth, um, yeah. but it's um, it's it's still amusing to jump on. And, and it's a source. It is a source. It's important to not get too invested in what is said there. Like even yesterday, someone had a go at me because I have the acknowledgement of country at the start of the podcast. So like, had a go at me for being woke, you know, <laughs> liberal bullshit. And I'm just like, if that 13 seconds filtered you out, I'm cool. Yeah, 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 you know, totally. Like, <laughs> the, the Sam Newman influence this way. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Great guy. Great guy. Well, fellas, as we head towards the end, I've got a couple of questions from the mailbag. The first one is very relevant to this conversation. Who is your dream guest for the podcast? Andrew, I'll start with you. Okay. Dream guest for the podcast. Oh, maybe this is a ridiculous answer, but it would be fun to have Cheech and Chong. <laughs> Hell yeah. Like that, that'd be great. I mean, you know, shoot for the stars, but I'd love that. I'd also, you know, there's there's also just people who have documented use of cannabis and and maybe people frown on it, like, you know, celebrities or, you know, singers and sports people. I think Michael Phelps's name came up before. I mean, we know he's got a big lung capacity in the pool, but <laughs> man, from what I read, he's partial to cannabis. So he'd be interesting to chat to. I know even the singer Michael Bublé apparently regularly uses Cannabis. So I, I'd be interested in seeing, in, in chatting to to some artists and, and sports 
people about it as well. But um, but yeah, Cheech and Chong probably going to. I would have loved to have uh, had Neville Shinemakers on the podcast, who was the first seed bank. Um, yeah, Alan Marks as well. Yeah, some of the the partners of my of my uncle, but otherwise, um, I fucking love to have Seth Rogen on. <laughs> I just think that'd be so much fun. I just think he's great, and I think he's funny, and that's oh know. the other one. Sorry, I'm just going to throw in there. I'm maybe a little bit more niche, but I love. Tim and Eric. Um, Hell yeah. So I, Hell yeah. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the universe, like I, I would, I feel like I would have a lot of fun doing We just start time. saying people who have nothing to do with weed and then we just <laughs> like, uh, No, yeah. no, no. John C. Obama on the podcast. <laughs> hey, hey, no, he doesn't mind Tim, it. Yeah. Tim and Eric have quite a long association with cannabis, I would think. But anyway. Yeah, craziest live show I've ever seen is Tim and Erica. I've never seen, uh, you know, any form of performing artist dedicate seven minutes to the word diarrhea (laughs) and still be funny. (laughs) Oh, my God. I love them. Anyway. Oh, God. All right, next question. This is directly from me. Should I spend $458 on a volcano vaporizer when I get off this Zoom call? Ooh, I should give a legal disclaimer to say that the company that makes... That product, what is it, stores and vehicle? I think. They have two products that there's the Mighty Medic and, and the the Volcano that I think have been evaluated um, and approved. I don't know if I'm using the right language. I just said yes. There's a range of unapproved products in the market as well and subject to um, consulting with your prescriber about whether or not those are appropriate, I would say that the Volcano is perhaps not the be-all and end-all product and that there's some perfectly good products, uh, allegedly, that I've heard that aren't on the approved list. Thanks, Dad. Um, I'm going to answer it by not saying yes because I didn't mean that yes when I said it because that would be wrong. However, <laughs> um, the first time I ever had cannabis was using uh, one of the, the the original five prototypes of the Volcano. I was lucky enough Access to that through the family, and I actually used it with my grandfather. Hell yeah, that's that's special. And it was special, and it was um, it I I can confirm it really uh, maintains of for me of any of the um methods that I've used as uh, directed by my medical professional. Uh, that was the one that maintained the integrity of of the plant the most for me. So. I'm surprised uh, you had such insight while you were giggling around on the floor the way that you were that <laughs> night, but uh, very impressive. It was actually a um, an observational trial. That we, <laughs> you, were, that we, you were clinically <laughs> supervised <laughs> by your granddad. <laughs> All right. To turn your own question back on you, when do you think legalization will happen in Australia? Well, of what? <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh black tar heroin yeah <laughs> obviously yeah well I, I actually meant within cannabis cbd or thc or both all right yeah so when will recreational thc flour be available to the average consumer i'd like to think within five years i yeah i was going to say 2027 is my Now, as we head to the end of the show, it's time for polls of wisdom. Though we value these long-form conversations, we must now leave the listener with one key takeaway, dinner party fact, or perhaps even a call to action. Mitch, what is your poll of wisdom? There's not much that I can say that wouldn't be advocating for, (laughs) (laughs) and therefore totally irresponsible of me to say. But I do think it is important to educate yourself about the breadth of 
what cannabis can do. So what I mean by that is that if you were going to, you know, not everybody's had an incredible experience with cannabis. Some people have had bad experiences with that. I would say to that, if you look at the pre-prohibition era of, of alcohol, let's say, and you were drinking something from in 1910 and your friend made it in his bathtub and that was the equivalent of what you'd accessed prior to seeing what's available in the medical market, you might find that there's a stark difference between what's available these days and what you may or may not have tried in, in, in the past. So we, we know there's a difference between, let's say, Yellowtail and Penfolds Grange. Um, and I, I think it's very important people understand that a product like cannabis has that same variation and range within it as well. Very nice. Andrew, how about you? My pool of wisdom is for people to enjoy, you know, enjoy moderately because I, I really do think that, like we said before, any substance has the propensity to be abused. And, you know, I'm talking with patients and with doctors in this space and you know, they have patients who build up too much of a tolerance too quickly, and then they need to go on a, on a break. And I guess all I would say is, and, and it could be the same as when people just abstain from alcohol in July or dry July or Feb fast or one of these things, but enjoy the break as much as the times when you're not on the break, because <laughs> it can be just as enjoyable to actually, you know, kind of reset and and see what the world is like without it. It'll make you appreciate when you're actually having it again. Well, I'm hearing themes of conscious consumption there from both of you. So what a lovely note to end the show on. Seeing as we're doing a collaborative episode here, I want to do a little bit of cross promotion and say that you can find me at GiveAndToke on Instagram or email me GiveAndToke at gmail.com. Find the podcast on all relevant platforms. Gentlemen, where can our listeners find you? Uh, on all good platforms. So we've got I mean, our, we do a video form. Um, so if people want to see the three of us um, on there, we'll be on YouTube. But we also um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We've started doing clips on our social media. Mitch, have I left I'll, it? I was just going to say, just type in AltMed to Google. Like, that's the easiest way. Uh, our SEO is actually cranking these days. So we're pretty stoked about it. <laughs> so you'll find us. Yeah, and I'll put relevant links down in the show notes below. Well, gentlemen, it's been an absolute pleasure to spend this time with you, the Podfathers, my favorite metrosexuals in the entire industry. Um, <laughs> it's been a real pleasure, guys. Thank you so much for your time. No, thank you. Thank you so much, Paul. Been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, just really appreciate it. Love your potty. And I'll, I've got your whole catalog now to um, to get, get stuck into. I will say you're actually a little bit more polished than us, I think. Yeah, I agree. Audio quality, actual substance, like it's got yeah. a good voice for it, actually. It's got a it's got a nice timbre. I, oh, I appreciate <laughs> that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, now I can uh, evaluate my own voice and get in my own head about that. Thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having us. It was actually hilariously fun. And um, yeah, it was great to be on the other side for a change. So cheers. Right on. Well, take care, gentlemen, and I'll be seeing you around. Likewise. Cheers. Given Tote Cannabis Conversations is written and produced by me, Paul. Music written and produced by Big Mike. Follow us on Instagram at GiveAndToke or get in touch by emailing giveandtoke at gmail.com. All opinions expressed by program guests are solely their current opinions and do not necessarily reflect the position of GiveAndToke. Content discussed in this show does not constitute medical advice. Cannabis is not legal everywhere, so please be aware of local laws.